Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter number 3. Tonight is our fourth time in this short book, five chapters. It is set in the framework of the devastation following God's destruction of, I think safe to say, the entire nation of Israel. Um, When my wife and I were, we took our, we went on our very first cruise, we went over mostly to Germany and cruised the Rhine River and so we were mostly in smaller villages, in smaller towns, nothing very large. And, but in almost every one of them, there was a large church or a cathedral. And in almost every one of those large churches or cathedrals, hanging on the wall were a series of photographs what, of what the city looked like after the British and the Americans had bombed it during the war. And of course, following the war, For political reasons, as much as anything, the United States funded the rebuilding of much of Germany and Europe. Uh, And so the, the nation of Germany suffered much destruction physically and the loss of many people. But it did remain a country, and it did not really lose its independence. Uh, But the nation of Israel loses everything. It loses its capital city, it loses its religious slash political center, it loses the vast majority of its people to death or being carried away captive, and it loses its independent identity. It doesn't lose its identity as a race of people, but it loses its identity as a political entity. And it was from that time, from the time of Jeremiah until 1948, that Israel had no land that it could legitimately call its own. In 1948, reestablishment is a milestone. I don't think that it is the complete fulfillment of biblical prophecy about the regathering in the land, but it makes that prophecy more discernible. So anyway, the book of Lamentations is written. It is just that. It is a series of laments about the devastation that has been wrought. The first chapter brings to us the perspective of the city itself, as if the city has a voice to talk about what it has experienced and how it feels. In the second chapter, God speaks, and we have Jehovah's voice about the devastation that he has wrought. In chapter 4, the people will speak. And we will have their perspective of what they have experienced. Chapter 5 is a little bit different for a couple of reasons we will get into. It is kind of a summary of everything. And of course, we are in the third lamentation, which is distinctly Jeremiah's perspective. So that not only do we have an organized series of sad songs, we have a, the perspective of virtually all of the participants. The city itself and what it suffered. God who brought the devastation and how he viewed it. Jeremiah, 
who is an eyewitness and experiences it and the people and what they have suffered. So with that, let's pray and we will turn our attention. Remember, we're coming kind of not quite into the middle, but we're coming later into this third of the Lamentations. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we pray your blessing that we would have good understanding and instruction. Father, if nothing else, we should be advised how seriously you consider our conduct and our devotion that you would visit such judgment upon a disobedient people. And yet you are gracious, and that is a part of the story, and we are thankful for your grace as well. Bless our time together, please. In Jesus' name, amen. So the laments all follow a similar format. Again, if I can, and I think I may have misspoken at the very beginning, chapter 5 is somewhat different, but lament 1, 2, 4, and 5 each are 22 verses. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are alphabetic acrostics. The 22 verses correspond to the 22 alphabet letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And Lamentation 3 just triples that format. It is 66 verses long, so every three verses follows the sequence of the Hebrew alphabet, three representing the A and so on, three verses together. This is a very personal lament. Jeremiah, of course, has been not the only one, but a major one of the prophets during this time. Uh, Isaiah precedes him by about 150 years. That's an easy number to remember. So Isaiah is predicting it, but he doesn't experience it. Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, they all live through it. But they are captives, and so they are not there to watch what actually happens to the city and to live through the military invasion, but Jeremiah is. And as God's mouthpiece, and we will get to this, he has suffered tremendously personally for being the mouthpiece of this upcoming devastation. I mean, if one of the things that we could do, I'm not doing in this series, but one of the things that we could do, and there'll be some references, is go back and compare some of the things that Jeremiah said and experienced and, and the way he was treated for that message, and yet uh, the devastation came. With reference to chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, this is the way that we've divided it. Jeremiah, or uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, are his personal lamentations. He, he sighs over the things that God has done to the nation. In chapter 3, verses 19 through 38, we call this Jeremiah's personal meditation. This is a sermon that he preached to himself, and this is where we will enter in this evening. And then in chapter 3, verses 39 through 66, are Jeremiah's personal supplications. What do, you, what do you say to God in light of this? What is there to say to the Lord who has 
visited such devastation upon his own people. Jeremiah, in the course of this, right, makes the trajectory. This is part of the great blessing and help to us. Here is a man who is brought to the absolute brink of despair by what he is experiencing, who we would probably say turns a corner and emerges, I don't want to say victorious in the sense of happy and rejoicing and all my cares are gone, but turning the corner and emerging victorious in that his faith is secure and he sees God's purpose and end in what has happened. So let's begin then this evening by going back again to verse number 18. <coughs> Excuse me, to the very last sentence of the first section, Jeremiah's personal lament, and I said, 318, and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. I mean, that is just, folks, that is about as low as a believer can get. When God's people saying things, start saying things like, I think my faith is gone. That's, that's, about as, that's about as bad as we can get. When we, when we seriously question, uh, <clears throat> I remember, I, you know, I, I hadn't been saved very long, got saved in 1978, and we had a, a lady who'd come to know the Lord not long after that. And our pastor just took me in very quickly and really began to work with me and so we were very close and spent a lot of time socializing. And we would, I had Tuesdays off in those days. We'd go to lunch on Tuesday, go out and make some visits, and we're sitting at lunch. And he mentioned this lady's name. He called me. He said, she called me yesterday morning, Monday morning. He said, she wanted to know if I believed in God. <clears throat> she wanted to know if I believed in God. And I, I really don't remember that he preached anything devastating that Sunday, but something he had said in the message Sunday night, she called him Monday morning. He said, do you believe in God? And uh, so when Christians get to the place where we question whether or not we believe in God, that's about as low as we can get. That's where Jeremiah is. Then I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. I cannot go any further, and I don't know that I can believe any further. And at that point, folks, we noted that in verse number 19, he begins then to turn his attention and preach a message to himself. And I won't go back and revisit all of it, but we talked about the way it is translated in verse number 19, which I think remembering is the best way to think of it as he recalls to mind what's going on. Let's go ahead and read this entire section again, verses 19 through 38. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, <clears throat> my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled 
full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he hath caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. And I'm going to stop there. This is the sermon that he preaches to himself, his personal meditation. And so his despair and the virtual abandoning of his faith in verse number 18 gives way to a renewed faith and hope as he thinks about what has happened and as he remembers who God is. And again, folks, I think this is very helpful for us and instructive for us if we will receive it. It is very difficult for us. Even us who are well-grounded in Bible truth, even us who have spent most of our lives in fundamental Christianity, it is very hard for us to accept the Lord's testimony of how depraved we really are. A depravity that touches every part of us, our thinking, our emotions, our assessments, our desires, our appetites. And yet, it requires a struggling attempt to understand our depravity to appreciate the conclusion that Jeremiah reaches as Americans, we would come to the devastation of Jerusalem and perhaps make the argument that God has been a little harsh. That there probably were other tools in his toolbox that he could have used. That he didn't need to kill so many young men. That he did not need to hand the women over to be raped, which is what they talk about in chapter 4 that he did not need to tear down their buildings and tear down their walls and take away their king. Jeremiah comes to the conclusion that the fact that he lives is sufficient evidence to appreciate God's mercy. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We, we still exist. And consumed... In verses 22 and 23, folks, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The word means just that. It means completely extinguished. Right? I mean, last Thursday was Thanksgiving. I'm going to guess that there were probably some things at your table that were consumed. Is there any more pumpkin pie? No, it's gone. It was consumed. And that is the usage of the word here. But the fact that we are not consumed is why I have hope. And I, 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 don't, I couldn't prove this, but I would, I would suppose this. That part of Jeremiah's meditation as he's preaching to himself and remembering the Lord is his recollection of God's word predicting that there would be a remnant that remains. And this has been God's habitual promise to the people going all the way back into the time of, the, of Moses, that when he visits them with devastation, there will be a remnant that survives. 
they will not be completely and utter consumed. And so he says in verse number 24, the Lord is my portion. I've lost my home, my country, my citizenship, my money, but I still have God. The Lord is my portion, and therefore will I hope in him. That's the complete and utter opposite of what he had just said in verse number 18. My hope is gone. We read about David that he encouraged himself in the Lord, and we have a little bit of that going on here in the life of Jeremiah. He is remembering the Lord. We have nothing else, nothing tangible that is left. We will get into this, folks, in chapter 4 when the people who remain talk about their deplorable condition, how their skin is literally changed color from the famine that they have experienced, the humiliation they have endured. We have nothing, but we still have God. So Jeremiah praises the Lord for his divine mercy. He praises the Lord in verse number 24 for his divine presence. And he recognizes in verses 25 through 30 that part of the way God communicates his goodness to us is by having us suffer and wait. These are good things that God does for us. This is the conclusion that Jeremiah, I don't want to say reaches, but comes to understand. The Lord is good, verse number 25, to those that wait for him, to soul that seeketh him. These, by the way, are things that the vast majority of Israelites were not doing. God was not punishing a righteous people, but an unrighteous people. It is good verse number 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good, Jeremiah says, that we just wait. And the idea there of quietly is without recrimination. Right? When, when we're suffering and then everybody knows that we're suffering and, and I'm, I'm not really trying to be offensive but when we say things like, I'm glad God knows what he's doing because I don't know what he's doing. That's not suffering in silence. That is accusing God indirectly in our suffering. It is good. And it is good, and I think the yoke in verse number 27, again, I couldn't prove this, but I think that the yoke that he's talking about is this yoke of suffering. Not just the yoke of laboring for the Lord. It is good. It is good to wait. The Lord is good to those who do wait. It is good to bear this yoke. It serves to bring about humility and wisdom. Humility and wisdom. And I think that's what he's talking about there. He putteth his mouth in the dust. Verse, number, verse 28, he sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. Wicked King Ahab, as godless as he was, gave us all some good advice. Let not him that putteth on the garment boast as him that putteth it off. Right? The guy who's going off to the war for the first time doesn't have anything to brag about. Learn something from the guy who's been to battle. So here are the things that suffering will do for us. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. In other words, he has brought that low that his face is buried in the dirt. Nothing to say. 
He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. And of course, these are things that our Savior experienced. But here is, right here is the testimony of Jeremiah. These are good things. These are good things. These are good things to experience. We would not naturally say they are good things. We would not say that to our children necessarily. And we would not want to say it of ourselves. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. So here is, again, verses 22 through 23, praise for divine mercy. Verse 24, praise for divine presence. Verses 25 through 30, praise for divine wisdom. To look around a city that lies in ruins, that is deserted of people, that is impoverished, that has been humiliated on the world stage, and to conclude that God has done a good thing. And in verses 31 through 36, Jeremiah reaches the realization that God is actually doing this for their good. The Lord will not cast off, verse number 1, or verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. He has rejected Israel. He had said he would reject Israel. We read about this in Psalm 106, Sunday morning, that he abhorred his inheritance. But it is not an eternal rejection. And this again, folks, this, just, this is just one of the reasons, and I don't want to, 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 to take us into the world of academic theology, but this is just one of the reasons why we are adamant that God is not finished with Israel as an ethnic nation. He will not cast off forever. He will not do that. Verse number 31. <clears throat> and though he is the cause of grief, verse number 32, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of mercies for he doth not afflict willingly. And I, I've mentioned this several times that, that we're, we're going to get to this. The, the, the literal idea is that he doesn't do this from his heart. He doth not afflict willingly. He doesn't do it from his heart. He does it. You know, maybe I don't think this is necessarily so, but maybe you have to be my age to have lived in a world where as your parent was coming at you with something to spank you would remind you that this was going to hurt them more than it hurt you. Words children probably didn't believe until they became parents. So this is not from his heart. This is, God didn't, you know, if I could put God as a human for a moment, God didn't get up that day and decide this was a good day to throw a tenter tantrum and throw his weight around. He didn't take any pleasure in this. This wasn't what he wanted for Israel, this was what was necessary for Israel. And so he did it. He did it. Because he himself is not unjust. Verse number 33, For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to cern aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. God is not a criminal, and, he, and God is not a thug. 
in his conduct when he has done this. But instead, verses 37 through 39, there is a real reason that we are in this state and we deserve it. Only the Lord can do it, verse 37. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? That's another recurring theme throughout the Bible. Who can, who, can have, who can make something happen if God doesn't want it to happen? And the power of both evil and good, verse number 38, belong to him. And therefore, verse number 39, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Why should we be complaining about what we so richly deserve? So this is why I would suggest, folks, that verses 19 through 39 constitute Jeremiah's personal meditation, a sermon, not a pep talk. This is a sermon that Jeremiah preached to himself on the character of God and the nature of God and the character of man and the rightness of justice and God's merciful intervention as hard as it is that is only temporary these are all concepts folks that Jeremiah learned from the Lord and from the Lord's word and then and only then in verse number 40 is he really in the in the right mindset to pray properly and so verses 40 through 66 then constitute his personal supplication what does he ask? Let's go ahead and read the entirety of that section. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain. Thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscouring and refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us, desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission, till the Lord look down and behold from, behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chased me sore like a bird without cause. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Water flowed over mine head. Then I said, I'm cut off. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou saidst, Fear not. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong. Judge thou my cause. Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me. The lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Behold, they're sitting down and they're rising up. I am their music. 
Render unto them a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. So here is this prayer. It doesn't necessarily follow the blessed God and direct pattern we are so used to. He begins in verses 40 through 42 with an appeal to the nation of Israel. Let us turn to the Lord. Right, the, whole point of the, the whole point of the judgment was because we had turned away from the Lord, let's turn back to Him. Let us lift our heart to Him. We have transgressed against you. And this time, I think that's the import there of verse number 42. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Folks, remember that in the context of Old Testament history, there has been a long pattern of pardons. I mean, just look at the cycles going through the book of Judges. The people wept, God relented. The people sinned, God judged them. The peaceful people wept, God relented. This was the pattern. Not this time. Not this time. This time the day of the Lord came, and they were judged. And so in verses 43 through 45, he acknowledges God's anger If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know that the word confess there means to say the same thing. If God calls it sin, then I need to call it sin. I'm not really getting anywhere if God calls it sin and I go, but it, but it wasn't really sin this time. I was just triggered. Or whatever excuse we fabricate. So Jeremiah takes responsibility Although he himself, remember folks, that if everybody had lived like Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations would never have come. You have blanketed us with your anger. You have taken no pity upon us. You have blanketed yourself with a cloud so that when we pray, our prayers do not get through to you. You don't want to hear us right now. You have made us the off-scouring. That's the scum that is left in the cooking pot, the residue after a pot boils. And you have made us the refuse. We are the trash of the world. And then in verses 46 through 51, he agonizes over the condition of the people. Everybody talks about us. Nobody, nobody holds back. Everybody opens their mouth. Everybody ridicules and mocks and insults. And we are frightened. We are frightened. Fear and, verse number 47, fear and a snare has come upon us, desolation and destruction. We are frightened and trapped and desolate. I mean, we are just helpless. We have no place to go. We have no resources. We have no helpers. Nobody will come to our aid. Again, this is something that emerges in chapter 4. And I weep for the condition of the state of Israel. And folks, I would just point out that both weeping and hoping are not necessarily mutually exclusive. But Jeremiah was just smitten with tears. You know that he is called the weeping prophet. He is smitten with tears. He is heartbroken over all that they have experienced. 
And he just points out that he will continue to weep until God begins to act. And then in verses 52 through 63, folks, these are his personal experiences. And again, we, we will not do this, but I will give you the references. If you went back to Jeremiah chapter 37, 38, and 39, you would read about this specific incident in which he was thrown into the dungeon for preaching a message that God's judgment was coming. And so in chapter 37, 38, and 39, you kind of read about it from one perspective, and then here is Jeremiah's testimony of his own experiences with it. And in verses 64 through 66, then, he asks for personal justice. Render to them a recompense according to the work of their hands. Give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heaven of the heavens of the Lord. So this is not a, a mushy, feel-good kind of prayer. Everything's, you know, everything's all right in my father's house, in my father's house, in my father's house. But it is really much, very much a nitty-gritty conversation to the, to, to the Lord. Turn us back to you, people. We need to go back to the Lord. His anger is deserved. And look at our humiliation. And he asked the Lord to work in justice. So that is, that is the end of Jeremiah's perspective, personal perspective in Lamentations. Next week, Lord willing, I expect we will be in chapter 4. All right, if you want to take your prayer bulletin, is there anything you need to add or update? Daniel? It did go okay. Okay, good. Did they change your medicine? Okay. So is that good? Okay, good. Well, we're glad for that. Praise the Lord.